0: Good morning, Good morning, and Happy, happy new, year new Year to you, and may God bless you richly in this new year. Um, this is an interesting uh, Sunday. It's still part of the Christmas season, and yet we think about the new year as well. The two, the two come together, and uh, I'm really honored that your pastor, Pastor Barry, invited me to speak today to bring you the Word of God. It's always a privilege to speak God's Word and it's an honor when a pastor asks you to preach in his pulpit. I'm very grateful for that and take that very, very seriously. Now, um, have you ever asked yourself what it was like for Jesus to be a child? If so, you're in good company. Christians have been asking themselves that question for 2,000 years. It's hard enough to grasp what it was like for the Son of God to become an adult human being without ceasing to be the Son of God. We marvel at the, the awesome, baffling God-man as we read about him in the, gospel story, in the gospel accounts. But what kind of a human child would the Son of God have been? You know, in the 2nd and the 3rd centuries, people began making up stories about the boy Jesus, he and his friends were making clay pigeons. Only his came to life and flew away. Um, in one story, he uh, turns a man who's been made into a donkey, turns him back into a human into a human being. And then, as you can imagine, there are stories about the um, wonderful answers he gave back to his teachers. How brilliant! How brilliant he was. Um, these stories were passed down through the centuries. Some of them. Were accepted by Muslims and have become part of Islamic tradition, even. But let's fast forward to the twenty-first century. People still ask that question. In the 2006 movie, the Nativity Story, it's one of my favorites, by the way. If you haven't watched it at Christmas season, you ought to watch it. But um, in that in that movie, Mary asked Joseph, When will we know? When will when will we see that he is different? And Joseph says, I wonder, I wonder if I'll even be able to teach him anything. Now, as far as I know, anything I have seen, The Chosen hasn't done anything yet about Jesus' childhood. But in 2016, we had an entire movie, The Young Messiah, about Jesus, the boy. However, we only have one valid story from Jesus' childhood, one authoritative account. It is given us in the passage from Luke that your pastor uh, read just a few moments ago. Its uniqueness, its uniqueness, its one of a kindness underscores its importance. It was not given to satisfy our curiosity about what Jesus was like when he was a boy, but to help us understand who Jesus really is and what it means for To be his disciple, the key to the story, of course, is in the answer that Jesus gives his mother. But if we're going to understand it, well, let's see. Let's have a look. How does the story go? The pilgrims thronged Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover, the great celebration commemorating God's delivering of His people from slavery in Egypt. No other festival was so important as the or as grand as Passover people from Nazareth traveled up to Jerusalem together. Uh, It was a gala affair. The journey in anticipation of once more being in Jerusalem and at the house of God was part of the excitement, especially for the 12-year-old boy. It's likely that the men, the women, and and the older children sort of divided up and traveled together in groups. And then at night, when the time came, because it was a several days' journey by foot, um, ninety miles or so. When uh, when um, night came, then they would camp at camp as families. Um, this was a special Passover for the boy Jesus. He was twelve years old. Now we cannot be certain how things were done in Jesus's day, Jesus' age, um, but. About 12 years old, it's about the time, the time was drawing near anyway, if it had not come, that Jesus would become a son of the law, responsible to live as a faithful Jew. It might have been his first time in Jerusalem since he was a baby. Our story, of course, really begins with the journey home. His parents naturally thought he was with the other boys. They're all going together, you know, having a good old time on the journey. Until evening. When the time came for them to pitch their camp and, and sleep together as a family, and there was no Jesus, and they looked around, there was no Jesus, and they looked with the other, the, these people over here, this family, these, no, we haven't seen him, we have no, he's not been playing with us all day, he's not, he's not been here with the rest of us. Uh, it's easy to feel their fear. If you've ever lost a child in a supermarket, you, you, you know what that's like. It's easy to feel their fear and their anxiety. They hastily returned to Jerusalem. I wonder if they spent the night. Really, I would. If it were me, I'd, night or no night. You didn't travel at night in those days, but night or no night, I'd have been. I'd have been hoofing it you know, back to Jerusalem as hard as, hard as I could go. Um, but they they returned to Jerusalem anxiously, anxiously searching for him, as you can imagine. On the third day, they find him in the courts of the temple. He's asking the teachers questions and answering their questions. You know, I don't know where they had looked for him before this. Maybe they looked for him at the candy sellers. You know, I don't know what there were in Jesus' day, but a couple of years ago, I was in Jerusalem with my, my grandchildren, and there were these candy sellers, you know, where you paid so much money and you could just... You know, you, you, get, you could get all you wanted out of this bin or that bin. That's, that's where my grandkids wanted to go. I don't know where they looked for him. But on the third day, they found him in the courts of the temple. And he's asking the teachers profound questions. And when they ask him questions, he's giving them answers that they did not expect at all from a 12-year-old boy sitting there. And everyone is amazed at his growing wisdom. Now, I'll bet you that every mother here, and my, my mother would have done the same thing, and my wife would have done the same thing. Every mother here would ask the question, would say exactly what, what, um, what, what, uh, what Mary said. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, for you. No one, however, would expect Jesus' answer. No one expected him to say what he said in return. Well, what did he say? If you look at several different English translations or even the footnotes in various translations, you'll find that there's, there's a difference in the way they read. Some translations read, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Others, like the King James, if you remember it, say, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Now, a literal reading of this text would be something like, didn't you know that I had to be in the things of my father? We need actually both translations to get the significance of what Jesus is saying. Neither one of them will do by itself. But also... If we want to understand what Jesus is saying, we need to remember what the angels have already said about Jesus to Zechariah, to Mary, and to the shepherds, and what the Spirit-inspired Simeon and Anna have said about him when his parents brought him him to the temple. From the angels and from Simeon and Anna, we already know that Jesus is the Lord, the virgin-born Son of God. The Savior, Christ the Lord. He is God's salvation, which God has revealed before all peoples, a light to lighten the nations and the glory of God's people, Israel, who will, has come to establish God's rule on earth. God has revealed all of this to faithful people who are awaiting God's salvation. Now, we see the boy Jesus, even though it's hard for us to imagine this or understand it. But we see the boy Jesus coming to realize, realizing that he is the only begotten Son of God. Here in the temple, in the place that represented God's dwelling with his people on earth, in the place where the angel had come to Zechariah to announce John the Baptist's birth, in the place where Simeon and Anna had had recognized the infant Jesus as God's salvation— this place, that at a Passover of some 20 years from the, from this time, would reject Jesus as, as the Savior and the Son of God and send him to the cross. The temple is at the very heart of Jesus' life and ministry. In this place, the Son of God makes his debut. Can you hear the surprise in Jesus' voice? Mary says, your father, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus answers, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house, my father's house? Why did you search for me? Why did you look anyplace else? It's only natural that a son be in his father's house. It's the most natural thing then for me to be in my father's house, in the house of God. There is, however, a yet deeper significance to Jesus' answer. Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? That is the reason the angel came to Zechariah. That is the reason that the angel came to Mary, announcing Jesus' birth. That's the reason that Simeon and Anna praised God when they saw the infant Jesus in the temple. The Son of God came into the world to do the father's business. From the temptation in the wilderness with which his ministry will will shortly begin, to his declaration of not my will but thine be done in the garden as it approached its end. He came to do the will of his Father, to live a completely obedient human life, despite persecution and suffering, to offer himself on the cross in obedience to the Father for the sins, corruption, malformation, and suffering of the world. And to rise again in victory through his own obedience to destroy evil and establish the kingdom of God. That is what it means for him to be the Son of God. The mission of the Son is the redemption of the world through his obedience to the Father. That is his Father's business. It was not easy for Mary and Joseph to hear these words. Jesus did obediently accompany them back to Nazareth. But they must have continued to wonder what the implications for them would be. After all, Simeon had already told Mary that a sword would pierce her own heart. Perhaps she can begin to feel it penetrate. Jesus will be pulling away from them. Jesus is about his father's business not about Joseph's Carpenter's business. Sometimes we would like Jesus to be about our business instead of his father's business. We would like him to supply our immediate needs and make it as convenient as possible for us to go on living the lives we want to live. When we are confronted with illness, We want him to heal, and he's invited us to pray for that. With financial trouble, we want him to make us solvent. When confronted with a wayward child, we want him to restore, and those are all valid concerns. But then we want to go our own way, and we're quite happy for him to go his own way and let us go our own way and do our own thing. Jesus, however, calls us to join him in doing his father's business. Listen to what he says later in in his ministry. When someone told him that his mother and brothers were outside waiting to see him, he said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. One day, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. There was no greater blessing than somebody could say than that. If they wanted to say, how wonderful a person you are, that's the way they would do it. They would praise. It's a very Eastern blessing. They would praise the person's mother. But Jesus answered, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Finally, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would lose his life, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The Son of God came to do his Father's business. He calls all those whom he has redeemed to join him in doing his father's business. We're not talking about legalistic uh, obedience where we check off so many rules and then we've done with what we're supposed to do. We're talking about a wholehearted allegiance where Jesus has become the center of our lives We join in the Father's business because Christ is formed within. We join in the Father's business because he has made us the children of God, the sons and daughters of God. And it's our business to do the Father's business because we have opened ourselves to him, embraced him, trusted him, and invited him to be the Lord of our lives. The Father's business has become our business, the passion of our existence. As we approach 2022, I say to myself, is that possible? Where has time gone? But as we approach 2022, I don't need to give you a summary, a news summary, to convince you that we live in very troubled and unstable times. A resurgent and resistant COVID virus is only the most obvious present danger. Now, I'm fully in favor of doing the things that we can do to meet the challenges of these days. But I have no sure human hope to give you this morning. I would, however, offer you this sure and certain eternal hope. We know the Son of God, who by doing the Father's business has redeemed the world. When we allow Him to become the center of our lives, and the Father's business becomes our business, then we have a hope that cannot fail. We have the hope that has sustained God's people throughout the centuries. We can say with the psalmist of old, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Pray with me, please. God of all grace, you have given us a Savior. Produce in us the faith to live by him, to make him all our desire, all our hope, all our glory. May we enter him as our refuge, build on him as our foundation, walk in him as our way, follow him as our guide, receive his teaching as our prophet, rely on his intercession as our high priest, obey him as our king. May we never be ashamed of him or his word, but joyfully bear his reproach. And may all that we do be done in the Savior's name. Amen.